It was August 1936, and the skies were gray as the rain clouds rolled in. Tensions had been high all day in Berlin, Germany, and in the previous weeks leading up to this one. This was it, the 1936 Summer Olympics. Athletes from all over the world had trained and prepared for this very moment. Suddenly, there was a tangible shift in the air. Excitement like electricity began to ripple through the crowd in the massive stadium. As one man lined up with the other runners and crouched down into running position, he could hear the roar of the crowds screaming his name. Jesse! Jesse! As he stared down the uneven track, muscles tensed, ready to run, the sound of the crowds began to fade away as he began to focus. He knew what he had to do. He had trained all his life for this moment. Bang! As the crack of the gun was heard, Jesse took off with lightning speed toward the finish line. He was born for such a time as this. As he passed the finish line, the crowd exploded with cheers. Jesse Owens had won. Now, this story that I shared with you is based off of something that really happened at the 1936 Olympics. See, Jesse Owens was an African-American man who competed at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Germany. Now, we know from history that this had been a tense time. See, Hitler had already been in power in Germany for roughly three years, and things like Aryanism, the, the belief that people of Aryan descent were superior, had already taken root in Germany. So there was a lot of tension that had been happening. However, despite all odds, Jesse Owens not only competed, but also went on to win gold medals in every single area that he had competed in. As he did so, he broke perceptions in a highly racially and politically charged atmosphere and ultimately won the title of the world's fastest man. Jesse Owens had been born for such a time as this. See, growing up as a teenager, Jesse ended up discovering that he loved running. Like, it ended up being a huge passion for him to the point that, you know, he would have to work after school to help his family. But in the early morning hours before anyone was even awake, he would go and he would train and he would run. Then, when he became a young adult, it was still a massive passion. And so he continued to pursue 
that which he was passionate about, which was running. This led him into a career as a professional athlete, which then took him to that fateful moment in 1936 at the Summer Olympics where he ended up winning not just one gold medal, but four gold medals. Church, while we may not be called in the exact same way as Jesse Owens to the Olympics, and if you are, that's amazing, I do believe that God places passions, he places giftings, and he places dreams inside of us to be used for such a time as this. That the things that the Lord has spoken, that the things that the Lord has declared over us may actually be fulfilled. We are called for such a time as this. So I wanted to ask, what is our passion? What is the thing or the things that the Lord has called us and asked us to do for such a time as this? A while back I had preached and I felt the Lord leading to preach on dreams and dreaming big dreams, like God-sized dreams. But I, I believe and I feel that through that sermon, that God actually birthed some things in people. Like he actually gave people dreams, big dreams, God-sized dreams. So he's given us dreams, but now what is it that he's actually called us to do? What has he ha asked us to actually start stepping into? Though it may seem daunting, we are called for such a time as this. See, church, the reality is, whether we realize it or not, I believe that we're all called. I also believe that when God has spoken or when he's called us into something, that it's for a plan and a purpose, and that the things that the Lord has spoken are meant to be fulfilled in the fullness of his time. Now, to be honest, it can be extremely overwhelming when the Lord calls us. But the thing is, is that the things that we are called into, the things that God has placed onto our lives, I believe are meant to be fulfilled by us. However, and this is, in my opinion, the scary part, is that he gives us free will. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we can either choose to rise up and walk into the things that he has called us to, or we can choose to cower and wait because of things like failure, fear, doubt. And as a result, we can actually end up missing out on the opportunities that the Lord has placed right in front of us or called us to or told us to actually begin stepping into. So church, can I encourage you? See, if the Lord has called us into something and you know that you know that you know he's spoken and he has declared something and called you to something, right? Like maybe in your life there's been a season shift or maybe there's been a season change and he's very clearly telling you to step into something and 
you know, even if it doesn't make sense in the natural or even if you're absolutely terrified by what he's calling you into because you know it means stepping into the unknown. Church, we need to be a people who are bold enough, who are willing enough to rise up and do the things that Christ is calling us to, to go the places that Christ is telling us to go, to actually walk in obedience and step into the things that the Lord is telling us to step into. Because the reality is, if we don't, we don't actually know what opportunities that we're missing out on. And frankly, we don't know what's on the other side of our obedience. We don't actually always know what God is wanting to do in us or through us and how he's wanting to use us. Which is why obedience and timing are imperative if we're actually going to see the things of God fulfilled in our lives. If God is saying to go, if God is saying to step forward or to move into something, then church, we need to be obedient because it's for such a time as this. If we wait, it could actually be too late. We cannot allow ourselves to be poisoned and paralyzed by fear or doubt when Christ has called us and created us for such a time as this that we may see his word, his promises, his truth fulfilled. You know, I think about it, and for me, it's, it's no different than in Judges 4, where we find the Israelites, and they're under heavy, heavy oppression from the enemy. And so there's this guy named Barak, and the Lord speaks to him, but Barak kind of hesitates. And God says, hey, today is the day that you're going to take back territory from the enemy, so I want you to go and fight. But Barak kind of hesitates, like I say. And so he goes to Deborah, who's a prophetess, and that's just somebody who in the Old Testament would hear from the Lord. And God speaks through her and says, haven't I commanded you to go? Go. So he does, and they end up breaking the oppression of the enemy. They win the victory. It also reminds me of 1 Chronicles 14, where David is fighting, King David is fighting against the Philistines. And God says, go now and fight. You're going to win the victory. I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. And so David is obedient to the Lord, and he goes and he fights, and they end up winning the victory. See, timing was imperative. The truth is, if these individuals hadn't actually stepped out, if they hadn't actually listened to the leading of the Lord and they didn't actually get up and go when the Lord was saying, you need to get up and go, then I believe that they wouldn't actually have won the breakthrough. They wouldn't have won the victory that they needed. And truthfully, I don't think they would have stepped forward into the call and all that God had declared them to. Church. We are called for such a time as this. So what is your passion? What has God asked you or called you to do? See, I find oftentimes when God calls us or he declares something that we're supposed to step into, oftentimes there's a bit of work involved, isn't it? Like the promises of God don't just happen automatically and they don't just happen easy. There's a little bit of work involved. There's a little bit of territory that needs to be won. 
And more often than not, I find when God actually speaks or declares or tells us to step into something, to begin to move forward, there's opposition and there's resistance on behalf of the enemy to discourage, to prevent us from stepping into the things which Christ has called us to. Which brings me to my first point. God delivers us for such a time as this. God delivers us. See, countless times throughout Scripture, we see that God literally delivers and fights on behalf of his people so that they could step into and move into the promises and the things that he has declared and called them into. An example of this we find in Joshua 10. See, In Joshua 10, the people had come out of exile of Egyptian slavery, and then they had been a little disobedient to the Lord, so they were in exile for 40 years, and then the time comes and the Lord says, okay, now is the time. Now is the time when you guys are going to step forward and begin to move into the promised land, to move into the things that I've promised and declared over you. You guys are going to take your inheritance. So Israelites, I want you to go. And I want you to begin to move forward, but you have to do a little work. You have to clear out the land of the enemy, but don't be afraid because I'm going to go with you and I'm going to go before you. You're going to have the victory. So the Israelites actually begin to do this. They begin to move forward and they're, they're clearing out the land of the enemy. They're taking back territory. They're seeing victory happen. And all of a sudden, not one, but five Ammonite kings see what's happening, and they say, you know, we don't like these Israelites. They're coming in here. They're taking back tor- territory. We need, to, we need to stop this. We need to take them out. And so we come to Joshua 10, and Joshua, who ended up succeeding Moses, Moses was the guy that parted the Red Sea. He brought the Israelites out of exile. Joshua ends up succeeding him, and he's like, you know what? This is a good opportunity to pray and ask the Lord what to do. So we come to Joshua 10, verse 8 to 11. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azka and Magda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azka, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail then were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So we can see in this passage that the Lord fought and delivered his people. Another example we find of God delivering his people is found in 2 Chronicles, and I love this passage. See, what ends up happening is during this time, Israel and Judah were separate kingdoms. So In the kingdom of Judah, the king was a man called Jehoshaphat. 
And so the people are there, and two people groups, the Moabites and the Ammonites, see the people of Judah, the people of God, and they want to take them out. And so the people see the army of the, the enemy, and they're terrified. So they, they run to King Jehoshaphat, and they said, hey, look, the, uh, the enemy is literally coming together to come and destroy us. Like, what do we do? Are we going to fight? Like, what's going to happen? We're way outnumbered. And King Jehoshaphat, in all his wisdom, is like, this is a good opportunity for us to ask the Lord. They needed deliverance so that they could continue to live out their call as the people of God. And so the people of Judah come together, men and women and children, and they they decide to fast and pray and just worship and seek the Lord until they hear from him. And so they do. And God speaks to them through a prophet, which again, that was somebody who um, in the Old Testament would hear from the Lord. And so we come to Second Chronicles 20, 15 to 17. It says, listen all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Take your position. Stand and watch the salvation of the Lord in your behalf, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. So after this, the people of God, the people of Judah, they go back to worshiping and praising God because they know that victory, they know that deliverance is coming, and God promised to fight on their behalf. God promised that deliverance was coming. So then we come to the next morning, which is the day of battle. And we go to 2 Chronicles 20, 20 to 25. It says, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will endure. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were struck down. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, completely destroying them. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Mount Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they turned towards the multitude, and behold, They were corpses lying on the ground, and there was no survivor. Now, I love 
in this passage so much for a few reasons. But in this passage, we see the Lord literally dealt with the enemy. And I love this passage because I think it speaks to the power of worship. I don't know if you caught it, but in this passage, they didn't send out the army first. Like God said, okay, you guys are going to be prepared to fight, but you're going to watch me deliver you. But the people, instead of sending their swords and their spears first, they sent the worshipers first. Church, worship is a weapon. On top of that, as soon as the people of God began to open their mouth and they began to declare, give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness is everlasting, that was the moment that God brought the breakthrough and destroyed the enemy. So that when the people of God actually arrived to the battle site, the enemy was already dead. And I've seen it time and time again. When we open our mouth, when we begin to praise and worship, when we set our eyes and our hearts on the king of kings, not on the circumstance, that's when we position ourselves in a place where God can move, where God can deliver, where God can bring the breakthrough. See, church, there are countless more times in Scripture where God fights on our behalf, where he delivers us and brings breakthrough. Our God is a God who delivers. Our God is a God who brings victory. Each time that he moved and he fought on behalf of the people of God, it was for such a time as this, that the people of God could move forward and step into the things that God had called them to. And church, I believe it's the same with us. Psalm 34, verse 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 94, verse 14 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Church, no matter what we face, the reality is our God never leaves or abandons us. We don't ever have to fear when he calls us. He's the one who calls us, so that means that he's the one who walks with us, and that means that he's also the one who delivers us. We're never alone, and we never actually have to stand in fear of the enemy because the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God who literally commands all of heaven's armies is the same God who fights for us, who delivers us, who walks with us and leads us into that which he has called us to. Psalm 145, verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all that he promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is faithful. So if he's called you, you can believe that he will lead and he will deliver you. Because our God is a God that means what he says and he's faithful. We are called for such a time as this. So what has God called you or asked you to do? See, in my experience, I also find that oftentimes when God has called us for such a time as this, more often than not, it can be extremely overwhelming. Overwhelming either because, you know, there's so much to do, 
there's so many steps to take from where I am currently to where I know the Lord is calling me, or simply it's overwhelming because we don't know what steps to take or we don't feel equipped, which leads me to my second point. God equips us for such a time as this. So the first point was God delivers us. The second is that God equips us. God equips us. Now, I think a perfect example of this in Scripture would be Moses. See, as I mentioned before, Moses is known for parting the Red Sea. But Moses had a little bit of a past. See, Moses was adopted into the house of Pharaoh when he was a baby. So he would have been highly educated, raised as a prince of Egypt, but he always knew his heritage. He knew that he was um, from the people of God. And he had a little bit of an anger issue. And so, you know, after um, murdering someone, he goes into exile in the wilderness. And it's there kind of when he's in that wilderness season that the Lord gets a hold of him and calls him into leadership. And so God appears to Moses in a burning bush and speaks to him and says, Hey, Moses, you're going to go and speak to Pharaoh, who's the leader of the nation that you just ran away from. You're going to talk to him, and then this series of events is going to happen, but you're going to lead my people out of slavery back into the promised land. And then we come to Exodus 4, verse 10 to 11, and we see Moses' response. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So from this response, we can actually tell um, Moses did not feel equipped for what God was calling him to do. However, God in his goodness and faithfulness makes the promise to teach and show Moses what to say so that the word of God could be fulfilled and the people of Israel could be set free from their oppression and bondage. Now, in addition to this, God in his goodness doesn't just say, hey, Moses, I'm going to teach you what to say and give you the words to speak. No, no, no. God in his goodness actually sends people like Aaron, Moses' brother, and then later on people like her and Joshua to come alongside him in leadership, to help him lead and be equipped so that he could fill out his call. See, Moses was called for such a time as this. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, I know there's been several times where you know, God has called me to something or told me to step into something and like Moses, I didn't feel equipped. I think probably the clearest memory I have of this is when I was in high school. 
See, when I was in high school, it was a massive high school of about 2,000 students. And I remember hearing in the announcements every week about Friday prayers, Friday prayers, Friday prayers. And me being naive thought it was Christian Friday prayers. And so one day I was like, oh, I love prayer so much, I'm going to just go. Well, I went, and I found out very quickly that it was Muslim prayers. So then I left. <laughs> and then over the course of a few months, God really started working on my heart and stirring in my heart, you need to start a Christian group. And I was just wrestling with it and wrestling with it. And I remember one specific day I had been wrestling with it. See, in my school, in the middle of the school was this massive atrium. It was two levels. And I was upstairs. And it was like a, a giant square. And so I remember class had ended. I was coming out of math class. I had my books. And I was walking through the hallway. Lunch had just began. So there were students kind of milling about everywhere. And I was walking, and I was like, Lord, I can't do this. You've called me to start the, the Christian group, but I can't do this. Like, I'm not anybody. I'm just a high school kid. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I can barely do a devotional. Like, I cannot do this. And in that moment, I just remember I heard the Holy Spirit so clearly as if he was, like, talking right in my ear. He said, I am enough. And I was like, no, but God, you don't understand. Like, I really can't do this. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Like, I cannot do this. And again, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I am enough. So then me, I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, you say you're enough. So I need you to equip me. And God, if this whole thing doesn't work out, you're the one that's calling me to it, so it's on you if it doesn't work out. And I also said, Lord, I need help. So if you're calling me to do this, and I believe you are, you need to send me somebody to be able to, to help me with this. And you know, God did. I had prayed, and by the end of that week, God sent me somebody who was a grade ahead, who had more experience, um, who had done like missions trips and all that stuff, and who was able to kind of help me co-lead the group. And funny enough, we ended up at the same Bible college after. But in that season, God did incredible things. So the first year, we went from three people, me, the co-leader, and another girl who was not as committed, so she left pretty quickly. So really, it was just like two people to eight people by the end of the year. And then the following year, by my grade 12 year, we went from eight people to like 30, 31, somewhere around there by the end of the year. And God did incredible things incredible things in that season. But God equipped me. Now, there are countless other stories in Scripture of God equipping people who didn't feel equipped, right? Think of people like Joshua, people like Gideon, people like Timothy in the New Testament, and so on. But for the sake of time, I won't get into them, but if you want to read more about them, it's all in your Bible. Hebrews 13, 21 says, He will equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Church, God equips us for such a time as this so that things may be fulfilled. So what has he called you to do? We are called and chosen 
for such a time as this to fulfill the things that he has promised and walk them out. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a man are ordered by the Lord who takes delight in his journey. Church, as long as we're willing to allow God to to lead, I believe that God will and can order our steps, direct us, correct us, yes, when we need it, but he'll also teach us. We are called for such a time as this. Haggai 2, 4b to 9 says, Be strong, all you who once again live in the land. Keep working on it. For I, the eternal commander of heavenly armies, am with you. Regarding the covenant I made with you when your ancestors came out of Egypt, my spirit remains with you, living among you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Church, we are called for such a time as this. So what step can you take this week to begin to move into or move towards the things that God has called you to? We're going to pray about that after. But you know, it's hard to know what we're called for if we don't actually know the one who calls us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, so often, I find that we can actually make our own plans, right? And then we think that they're good, and then life happens, and we find out that Our plans aren't as good as we thought. It can be exhausting, constantly trying to calculate your next move, to to figure out where you're going to go, what you're going to do. Like, it's burdensome. It's heavy. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 to 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, Jesus died for us so we could live a life of rest. Truthfully, a life with Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is easy or all of our problems magically just go away. No, like life is still life. We still have hard things to walk through. But a life with Jesus does mean a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of abundance, and a life of rest. See, when we actually allow him to, God leads us, he guides us, he delivers us, and he calls us. He sets us free from the weariness of this life. He gives us new hope, new meaning, and new perspective. So if you'd like that for yourself, 
I'd like to give you the opportunity. We're just going to pray a little prayer right away. And uh, if the rest of you could just join in um, so that if someone's praying it, they don't feel left out. And uh, Here we go. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I ask you now to forgive me of all my mistakes. Come into my heart and make me new. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what are you called to do? What step can you take this week to begin to move into the things that God has asked you to? We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who births dreams and births new things. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for the dreams that you've given us. But Lord, I pray now and I ask now that you would give us um, the steps that we need to take this week to begin to walk into the things that you've called us and asked us to. Lord, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to begin to um, take back territory from the enemy. Lord, to begin to walk uh, into the things that you've declared and you've promised and you've proclaimed over us. God, that we wouldn't be a people that is fearful, but, Lord, we would be a people that's bold and courageous for the kingdom. So, Lord, once you've shown us those steps, I pray that you would give us the courage to begin to walk into it. Into it. God, that you would order our steps, as it says in your word. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.